0: The following program is recorded content created by the truth network
1: friends there's a reason that the radical left cannot reproduce long term
2: it's time for the line of fire with your host biblical scholar and cultural commentator dr michael brown your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity call 866-34-TRUTH to get on the line of fire and now here's your host dr michael brown thanks so much for joining
1: us today on the line of fire michael brown absolutely delighted to spend this time with you friends i believe the fire in my heart is going to jump into your heart as well i I believe you'll be ignited with truth today that could be life transforming so thanks for being part of the broadcast here's the number to call and the phone lines are open for any question any comment on any subject we'll get to that a little later in the broadcast but As much as possible this week, I want to open the phone lines widely for all your calls, all your comments, all your questions. If you're curious, if you're new to the broadcast, if you're wondering where we're coming from, if you've been listening for years and have always had a biblical question or you want to challenge me on something, either way, friend or foe, 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-348-7884. That is the number two call. Okay. A few years ago, there was an article that got my attention. And then there were actually a bunch of articles written about this subject. I'm, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts. This was Gatestone Institute, International Policy Council, Gioli Meotti, May 6, 2017. The title of the article was Europe's childless leaders sleepwalking us to disaster let me read the title again europe's childless leaders sleepwalking us to disaster and some of the the key points of the article as europe's leaders have no children they seem to have no reason to worry about the future of their continent Quoting from douglas murray in the times The Europe today has little desire to reproduce itself, fight for itself, or even take its own side in an argument, Joshua Mitchell said, finding ourselves becomes more important than building a world. So here's the article. There have never been so many childless politicians leading Europe as today. Well, not living in Europe and not knowing about the background of some of these political leaders, it it didn't dawn on me be it angela merkel of germany or be it um macron in france or difference one after another they had no kids they had no kids now i'm I'm not saying they're evil people because of that i'm not saying oh they are godless evil people it's just very interesting to hear one after another after another didn't have children now would you agree with me all of you who are parents that having children gives you a different perspective on the world, on life, on on the future, on what matters, than your perspective before you had children. Even if you wanted to have a family, even if you've always wanted to have a big family and do all this and yes, but having children, raising children, nurturing children, it does give you a certain perspective. And now with our grandchildren, uh, our youngest about to turn 16, the oldest uh, early next year turns 22, right? So even our grandchildren older, that you think about their kids, it, it does affect your perspective. So the article continues, these leaders that are modern, open-minded, and multicultural. And they know that, quote, everything finishes with them in the short term, being childless is a relief since it means no spending for families, no sacrifices, and that no one complains about the future consequences. As in a research report financed by the European Union, quote, no kids, no problem. of course that's a terribly short-sighted way of thinking because no children means no society no children means no support for the elderly this is becoming a crisis all around the world now on average for every childbearing woman so the average ages of childbearing say roughly 18 to 44 in terms of childbearing years again this just imprecise figures general figures you have to average about 2.1 children for every childbearing woman to keep society afloat when you start to get under those numbers or get precariously low 1.6 or 1.3 or 1.1 or something society cannot sustain itself you you do not have adequate support for the elderly and and the society will begin to crumble so china's ill advised one child per couple policy has really hurt the nation and may hurt the nation long-term. From Japan to Russia, to Greece, to Spain, to Italy, the, the same problem has arisen where there have not been enough children. The only thing that's keeping America above that level is, is basically immigrants in, in, for, for some years now. Now, what's interesting is in religious homes, be it Muslim or Christian or Jewish, they have more kids. On average, they have more kids. Muslims leading the way, of course, the highest, highest would be traditional. Uh, Ultra-Orthodox Jews would have the highest. One of my rabbi friends, uh, I mean, we're a theological opponents, but one of my rabbi friends has 14 kids. And he said it's not, it's not that uncommon in the neighborhood where he lives. Right? Think of that. So, uh, but you have it Latin America, other parts of the world, where Christian population is growing. A lot of it is by large families that's how islam grows large families the more secular you get the more religion does not play a major role then the less children you have right now you have a phenomenon say in japan with homes for the elderly so you don't you don't have an environment where they can just live with the kids because there there's just not an adequate number of kids that can support the system there so you actually have developing robots now robot dogs and things to, to, to be companions to the elderly. You, you have attempts in Russia to have more babies. And Japan is to go home from work early today and have, be with your spouse and have children. And these campaigns, they're, they're pushing for these things. Hungary has been more successful by encouraging things and, and passing laws to benefit moms with kids, etc. But somehow you take God out of the equation so even just broad religion, different religions, you take God out of the equation, you take large families out of the equation. You have a society that cannot reproduce itself. And it's part of what the radical left produces. So same with abortion, right? Who has the vision for life for children? Who looks at children as more something to discard if it's not the right time and setting, etc.? So the radical left militantly pro-abortion. So Who's gonna have more babies? Just Just look at. It. Gay activists, right? Okay, there, yeah, there are homosexual couples that love each other and, and love the kids that they have adopted or had from a, a previous heterosexual marriage. I'm not saying that there they, they won't be devoted parents or caring in, in many cases, but of course they can't provide what a mother and father together can provide because it's either two mothers or two fathers. It's just that's just the reality, right? On my my best day as the most devoted parent I could ever be, I wasn't Nancy. I wasn't a mother. I, I, I did not have what she had. I did not bring what she brought. And on her best day, she wasn't me. She wasn't a father. So those are just realities. And the, the challenges of bringing a child into this world or adopting a child for a gay couple... That's a whole lot more difficult than a heterosexual couple just going through the natural process of love and intimacy and producing children. So who's going to have more children, couples that are couples the way God ordained couples to be a male and a female, right? So that's just the reality of things. It doesn't mean that every gay person is a child predator or evil. No, no, it's just these are just biological realities. So the left, especially the radical left, is going to be pro-abortion, is going to be pro-same-sex marriage is not going to esteem family across the board, the same as those who are God-centered and see the beauty and union of coming together as one and producing children and and have a vision for future generations in the same way. It's just not going to happen. So what's interesting now is there is a new prime minister in Italy. And I'm looking at headline after headline where she is being vilified. So the first female, uh, Georgia Maloney, And one of our grads in Italy sent me a clip of one of her speeches. I would play it except it's in Italian and it's with captions. And she's talking about the left and their attack on identity. So you can't have national identity, that's wrong. Uh, You you can't have religious identity, that's wrong. You can't have uh, gender identity, that's wrong. I mean, she's nailing these things, right? And I'm looking at headline after headline like this one on the Washington Examiner, the left fear Italy's new prime minister and that is why they vilify her. So they're making her into this you know, radical right and it's gonna be dangerous and all this. And I, I don't know much about her. So I'm not gonna comment beyond just the little clip that I, that I, I wanna talk about. But on this clip, she says, look, I'm Italian, I'm Christian, I'm a mother, I'm a woman. It's like yeah, you know, all the things that come under attack from the left. Now, there is an unhealthy nationalism that I've spoken out against, an unhealthy Christian nationalism that I've spoken against, but there is a healthy, I love God and I love my country. I love God and I appreciate my country and I wanna see my country do well. If my country does well, we can be a blessing to the rest of the world. That's, that's good, great. God bless you, right? In that sense, God bless America and let us be a blessing to the world, great. And I'm a Christian, loves America, great. And I'm a you know man, and you know love being a man, and great. Good. So all these identities in themselves can be good and fine, but there is this blurring of everything. Is friends, it's, it's what happens. I have a quote from Francis Schaeffer in 1968 talking about homosexual activism. So this is a year before the Stonewall riots and the the explosion of the modern uh, gay liberation movement, gay revolution, etc. And Francis Schaefer's talking about that, that the, the homosexual movement is, is the activism is going to do away with, with these absolute identities, male, female, these distinctives. So where we've gone now, where we've gone now over to transgender identity and those kinds of things, um, where, where we've seen things progress inevitably, friends, this, this is what you can expect. The good news is that everything reproduces after its own kind. That's the good news. Everything reproduces after its own kind. And certain things do not reproduce well and other things reproduce really, really well. God's ways are ways of thriving. God's ways are ways of reproducing. Friends, if we will simply live out God's principles, we will outlast these other revolutions and we'll be standing when they have fallen. It's the gospel truth. All right, if you want to get on the show today, call 866-348-7884.
2: The line of fire with your host dr. Michael Brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr. Michael Brown thanks friends for joining us
1: on the line of fire 866-34-TRUTH the number two record I want to take you back in my own personal history and then in some of the social history of America to give you some insights on what's happening in the culture today and some of the real battles that we are facing. Now, in John, the first chapter, speaking of Jesus, it tells us that he came full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth, but grace and truth. Our gospel, must be a gospel of grace and truth. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. Uh, Thomas Sowell said that if we care about other people, we tell them the truth. If we care about ourselves, we tell them what they wanna hear. So the selfless thing to do is to speak the truth in love, regardless of cost or consequence. It was in 2004 that the Holy Spirit Laid on my heart a calling, a burden to help push back against the tide of homosexual activism. Now, it, it was a strange thing on the one hand because it's not my own background. I, I was a heavy drug user before I was a believer. I was in all cousin rebellion as a teenager, but I've always had heter, heterosexuality, it's all I've ever known, been attracted to women, that's all I've ever known. So, why? Why would I have a burden in, in this area? It's not part of my background. I didn't have a particular burden to reach out to the gay and lesbian community. That was not something that was specifically laid on my heart to do. I'm Jewish. I've had a special burden to reach out to Jewish people, but never had that. And I thought, okay, why why this burden? why, why me? My PhD is in Near Eastern languages and literatures from New York University. It's 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 not in family counseling or or gender studies or things like you know, so so why me? what I began to sense was no one gets to sit this out. This is something that's going to affect the nation. And as I began to study and look at these things, I realized that even then, 2004, so we're talking 18 years ago, that this was already the principal threat to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience in America. And that nobody got to sit this out. Okay, so I had this burden about the issues, about the activism. But I knew in in order to to have God's heart, I needed to care about the people. I need to have God's heart for the people. So I I made appointments to meet with local gay or lesbian activists to sit so they could tell me their story. I began to read everything I could about the history, the, the, the gay revolution, the gay liberation movement. I began to read stories of Pastors that were gay pastors and said I, yeah, I had demons cast out of me. I went through electroshock therapy. Nothing worked Now I realize God made me gay you know, Books like holy homosexuals a stranger at the gate and things like that to try to Understand their perspective better. And so my, my heart would be moved and in early 2005 a lot of this came together. I was I was with some colleagues we were praying and fasting in front of the Supreme Court for the overturning of Roe v. Wade and uh, just silent prayer And I heard this in my spirit, reach out and resist. Reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion. Resist the agenda with courage. And I understood even then, that reaching out to the people required tremendous compassion because many have been hurt. Many have been rejected. Many feel hated by the church. Many were misunderstood or mistreated by their own families. So. It's just like if you're at the beach all day and you got a bad sunburn and I didn't know it and I saw you and I said, hey, how you doing? Just kind of slap your shoulder and you jumped. It's like, well, I I barely touched you. Yeah, but you're really sensitive. So I don't mean this in a critical way, but people have been really hurt and burned and, and rejected. They're gonna be more sensitive. So I understood that to reach out required unusual compassion. Reach out to the people with compassion. Resist the agenda with courage. I also understood that the moment you begin to speak out about these issues, you will be hated, you will be rejected, you will be vilified. You'll be accused of being closet homosexual, you'll be called every name under the book, you'll be called Nazi and homophobe and all of this. So I knew it took courage to do this, but it it was a clear calling from the Lord. So since then, I've been on the front lines of the culture wars. Since then, I have been profiled by the Southern Poverty Law Center, the SPLC. A few years back, they maybe a decade ago, they put out this article on 30 leaders of the new radical right, ooh, dangerous. People like David Duke, former Grand Wizard of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, or Malik Zulu Shabazz, a former former leader of the new Black Panthers. And me, quote, anti-gay. Yeah, I was, but on the list of glad the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, which I nicknamed the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Disagreement. They put out the Commentator Accountability Project. They had 36 people. Initially, it's grown, but these were conservative news commentators and and, and experts and things that they were telling all the networks, do not let these people on your network, do not let them give their point of view. It's poisonous. It's toxic. You do not need their viewpoint. So I was on that list early on. Human Rights Campaign, the world's largest gay activist uh, lobbying organization. Uh, Human Rights Campaign. So they... Uh, they had me on their their hit list for exporting hate. I was invited to Peru some years back to speak to congressional leaders and university chancellors, and to discuss with them uh, to discuss with them uh, what happens when you normalize same-sex marriage, you redefine marriage, and and you you open the door to transgender activism and things. What happens? And I started saying, we're not here to demonize anyone. There's no hate here. Some of your best friends in the world may be gay, lesbian, trans, some of your coworkers, maybe the issue is not to demonize. I just want you to know the social consequences. So I've been involved on the front lines. I've been asked to, to be on TV and meet with political leaders in different countries and things as a quote expert. And I said, do you understand? My doctor, I'm not doctor in this field. you understand that? They said, yeah, yeah. You're the person why it was calling of God. And I immersed myself in these things and and here years back friends said to me Mike why are you doing this why are you wasting your time on these issues i mean you're you're a revival preacher and you've you've got a heart to to see the jewish people saved and you want you're an apologist and all yeah well i'm doing all that I haven't stopped doing any of the other things but i told them i said look i feel like an umbrella salesman in the desert and and there is a storm coming a big storm coming and you're like mike why why do you have all these umbrellas and why are you building more warehouses and making more umbrellas? We're here in the desert. If there's no rain, I'm saying there's a storm coming. And for quite a few years now, metaphorically speaking, we have not been able to make enough umbrellas. We have not been able to put out enough umbrellas because the storm has been here in massive ways. And now you can't go through a day in the news without something in the news about transgender this or gay this. or th- It's just everywhere we are facing it. It's the world we live in. Well, wake up. We've been shouting it and others were shouting it long before I saw it, long before I caught it. Now, here's what's really interesting. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of all of this, a key, key group whose very existence must be attacked, whose very existence must be denied, is ex-gay, ex-trans. If you exist, if you can be a former homosexual, or a former transgender, it undermines the entire movement. It undermines the whole energy of LGBTQ plus activism. Why? Because gay activists brilliantly saw that, hey, we, we must position ourselves as the inheritors of the civil rights movement. Americans don't wanna be bigots anymore. We, we don't wanna be discriminatory anymore like we were in the past. So this is now the new, the new racism that you're anti-gay, you're anti-trans, and the equivalent is, hey, we're born this way and we can't change. It's innate, it's immutable. This is the way we are, this is the way we'll always be, therefore, this is our right. And you have to recognize our rights. And Americans wanna be open-minded and tolerant and recognize those rights. So. That means that those who are allegedly ex-gay, ex trans no, you cannot exist. You, you must be proven to be frauds. You, you're, you're, you're not going to last. You're just acting. It cannot be because it undermines the whole movement. Now, here's what's really interesting. Going back in history, going back in history. So gay activism really... Launched powerfully late 60s with Stonewall riots as part of the sexual revolution of the 60s As that really comes into prominence gay activists realize okay, we have two major enemies to deal with we have two major enemies one one of those enemies is the world of of psychology psychiatry because it says that homosexuality is a disorder that it's a sickness that it's like schizophrenia or some other disorder like that right so that is one target. We must change the thinking of the psychiatric, psychological professions. The other enemy is the world of religion, and in America, being primarily Christian, the world of the world of Christianity, the church, because the church says this is a sin. I remember visiting some some gay meeting at at a local place in Charlotte, North Carolina, to hear a talk about, can you be gay and Christian from a pastor? And they were giving out literature there, not a sickness, not a sin. Not a sickness, not a sin. Yeah, that that is the mindset. So to say, it's not a sickness, it's not a disorder, and it's not a sin. Well, the world of psychiatry, that turned around very quickly, very, very quickly. 1973, 1975, That shifted. That left one more battle. The world of the church. The world of religion. All right, friends. We'll be right back. I I think you'll find this very, very interesting as we continue. We'll take some calls. 866-348-7884.
2: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. So uh,
1: let let me just continue with the history for a moment. In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association, APA, reversed its stance and said that homosexuality should not be looked at as a disorder in any way or as a hindrance to people's normal functioning. And then two years later, the American Psychological Association followed suit. And then it was kind of like dominoes, all the other groups. So you'll see these long lists that they, they've all normalized homosexuality, etc. cetera. There's, it's not a disorder, it's, it's not an improper function or anything like that. So that, that's just been like dominoes. But that, that happened very, very quickly. That's a whole other story as to how that happened, but that happened very, very quickly. The battle in the church, that remains the battle. Their battle, what does the Bible say? That remains the battle. So there's an endless assault to try to get us to reinterpret the Bible, or we've been misreading the Bible. And and this is what you'll find with consistency. You'll find this with consistency, that... Someone we're not we're not talking about a theologian, a liberal theologian that doesn't even believe Jesus rose from the dead or doesn't believe the Bible is the word of God, so they're gonna interpret things in all kinds of different ways. Not even talking about that. A sincere believer, a Jesus follower, a Jesus lover. Um, but as they say say as a child, 10 years old, you love the Lord, and and your friends right boy that's that's holy sally or that's holy joe i mean that's they joked about you cuz you you really seem serious about the lord and now you're 11 12 years old and you're reading the bible more and and serious about your faith and and your friends a little bit little 12 and 13 they're talking a lot more about the opposite sex and they're noticing the opposite sex a lot more but you're not you're you're just not you're not you're not noticing why well, why? Well, because you're so spiritual. Because you love Jesus so much. Because you're not concerned about those things. But now you're, what? No, it can't be. You're starting to have. You're noticing the same sex. No, that can't be. You're not. be you are you are attracted to the the same sex. You you're having lustful thoughts about. No, that can't be. That's not right. No, it can't. Well, who are you going to tell? You're not going to tell anybody, right? So, you pray about it and you talk to the Lord about it and just make this thing go away, make this bad thing go away. And you remember, you know, wow, even when I was like younger, I felt a little different than others. Maybe. Well, no, no. Uh, no, I'm just going to pray about it. You, you fast. Nothing happens. Maybe I need deliverance. So I'm not going to tell people what I need deliverance from, but I'm going to have someone pray for me to break this thing. Or, it's just I'm struggling with something, Pastor. Could you break something over me? Sure, sure, Sally. Sure, Joe. And, but uh, nothing happens. Now you're fifteen, you're sixteen, and the desires are getting stronger, and it's terrifying you. You don't tell your youth pastor because then it's gonna. Other kids are gonna find out. They're gonna look at you funny. You can't tell your parents because they're gonna think like, "What? Yeah, how could you? That's wrong." So get online. You start to research and you look into it, and you discover, okay, this is very interesting. This is like gay this and gay Christian that, and and gay Bible studies and. A Christian network and hmm me, oh what, wait you're saying we've misinterpreted the Bible you're saying Jesus never talked about that at all and you're saying Paul's been misunderstood and yet we know we're not under the mosaic law anymore and it's like could be this way God made me and suddenly it's like whoa so there's nothing wrong with me this is fine so as long as I'm in a loving monogamous same sex relationship that God's good with that and Pray. So what, here's what happens. You begin to read the Bible through the lens of your own sexuality. You interpret the Bible through the lens of your own sexuality rather than interpreting your sexuality through the lens of the Bible. I've seen it happen time and time again. I've read the stories. I've, I've read some of them with tears. I've put books down and got alone on my knees and wept for people. I've said, God, I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want to help people. I don't want to hurt anybody. I just care about people, but I've got to be honest with you and with people, Lord. So I, I, I've seen it. it. It's what happens over and over again. You know, many years ago, I was I was doing a five-day water fast. And fasting was always challenging for me, especially with my unhealthy diet and and being addicted to certain unhealthy foods, chocolates and things like that. So fasting was kind of miserable. So, you know, I've done as many as 21 day water fast, but I, w- I would try to pretty frequently do like a three-day water fast or a five-day water fast. So I, I, I was really praying about a major decision when we lived in Maryland. And w- was God calling us back to New York? I was preaching a lot for David Wilkerson in Times Square Church in New York City. Was I supposed to launch a school for him? What was God saying? I'm praying about it. And Nancy really felt that we weren't supposed to go back to New York, but I I felt I needed to hear from God. So I I talked to a friend of mine, Messianic Jewish colleague, and I said, hey, you want to fast with me? Because he was seeking God about some things. I said, yeah, let's do it. So we agreed we're going to do a five-day water fast and encourage each other through it. Well, before the fast starts, I got my answer that it was not time to to go to New York. God wasn't calling us there. But I... (laughs) I told the Lord I was going to fast, and I felt He had told me to do a five day fast, so I thought, okay, I'm going ahead with the fast. But it was a really difficult fast. Well, the the second morning, my friend comes over, we're praying together before lunchtime. and And uh, as we're praying, I could tell he's he's not he's he's losing it. He doesn't want to fast anymore. And uh, I said, just promise me that you won't leave here and get lunch. He goes, Mike, I can't make that promise. And he goes out and has lunch. So now I'm on my own, right? So by the third day, I'm, it's, uh, I'm miserable. I am absolutely miserable. And I, I'm teaching a class in the morning in our ministry school. And I call Nancy and I told her, I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm having lunch today. I said, I'm, I'm, I just can't do this. I'm having lunch. She goes, no, you're not. I said, no, I'm, I'm, I was ready to go to Popeye's. I knew the chicken tenders I was getting and fries. I had the whole order ready. And uh, she said, no, you're, you're not. She said, your stomach is not your God. You're a man of God. You're not eating. And she hung up the phone. So I was kind of stunned by that. We're both New York Jews. So we communicate like that with each other. So that night I convinced her, look, it's, I don't need to fast. The Lord already gave me the answer to the fast. I don't need to, I you know, it's it's fine. and. And let's go out and have dinner with the family, which we did. So she said to me, she said, didn't you say that God told you to do a five-day fast? I said, no, no, no. What happened was I felt prompted to do a fast. And I I said, Lord, I feel I should do a five-day fast. And he affirmed that. You see, it wasn't that he spoke to me. He affirmed my idea. That's why I can cut it short. So she said to me, she said, next time before the fast, write down what God said to you because it seems to change during the fast. Okay, it's a funny story and revealing of, of my weakness, but hear me, if I could do that for food, how much more when it's your very sexual and romantic identity, how how much more when it's when it's your relations for the rest of your life and whether you have to be celibate or single or you, you tell me there's not going to be an overwhelming temptation to read the word differently, to interpret scripture differently. You better believe it's going to be strong. And then you get a scholar with Hebrew or Greek and they said this could be misread, this could be misread, even though it's never been understood like that in the history of the church. Suddenly now after the sexual revolution, we're getting all these new insights into how to read the Bible, right? Right? So you got to be very, very suspicious of all that. So bottom line is this has been the battleground in the church. And the thing that cannot exist, the single thing that cannot exist is an ex-gay or an ex-trans person. No, no, no. You are just in denial. You are like a left-handed person trying to be right-handed, but that's never going to be who you are. Or once gay, always gay. Born gay, stay that way. And in fact, in many states in America, now you cannot get legal counseling. You you cannot get counseling under the law. So you're 17 years old. You're a young woman. You were raped repeatedly by an uncle from the ages of 8 to 12. You developed this hostility towards men. You found yourself same-sex attracted. You're Christian. You want to honor the Lord. You don't feel right about this. You want professional counseling in state after state in America. Illegal, illegal if you're a minor, even with your parents backing. But if you say, I'd I'd like affirmation of my same-sex desires, have at it. Or you could be a 10-year-old kid, a boy feeling like you're a girl trapped in a boy's body and telling your parents about it. And they say, well, let's get to the root of this, Johnny. Let's, Let's find out what's going on illegal to get professional counseling to help you illegal in state after state in america and in different countries if you're a minor but if you want to get put on dangerous puberty blockers dangerous hormones treatments and then sex change surgery maybe when you're 16 years old oh, that's perfectly fine that's legal that that is how upside down and twisted things have become so if you say hey i'm ex-gay now maybe that means I still struggle with same-sex attraction, but I simply say no to it, because I'm gonna obey the Lord. And Jesus said, deny yourself, take up the cross. Jesus is more than enough. And I can stand being single for now or for longer. And I'm happy, I'm praising God. Or, I've got these desires under control and I'm starting to actually be attracted to the opposite sex. Or, I don't have any gay desires at all. They disappeared. God dealt with through counseling, got to the root of them, and now I'm just heterosexual. I know people on on all of those uh, uh, journeys and those who are ex trans. Some, <laughs> as, as I'm speaking, you're listening to me right now. So that's why the attack is so intense against you. That's why the, the, the battle is so intense. It's not just that the devil hates you, but you are undermining an entire massive social movement. And that's why it is critical pastors, leaders, hear me. It is critical for the whole church to surround those who are ex-gay, ex-trans, not expecting perfection out of them, not expecting them to change overnight. The goal is holiness, holiness to the Lord, right? Let's make that the goal and heterosexuality and natural desires can flow out of that. That's what's so essential for the church to be on the front line, standing with you, standing for you and pushing back against LGBTQ activism all reaching out to the people with compassion. It is time for us to arise as one and especially stand with our brothers and sisters who have come out of homosexuality, come out of transgenderism and other things with compassion, with grace as a community to say we've got your back. Alright, Bill in Europe, hang on, I want to get your call on the other side of the break. It ties right in 866 truth
2: the line of fire with your host dr michael brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown thanks so much
1: friends for joining us on the line of fire if you want to find out more about any of these subjects i've just talked about we have an abundance of resources waiting for you free yeah free f-r-e-e on our website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Head over there if you haven't been. So oh, I've been there in the past. No, 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 we completely revamped it. We totally revamped it. Soup to nuts, revamped. Go there, check out the abundance of free resources. Of course, we have books you can buy if you want to go deeper in the store, other materials, but tons of written material, tons of audio, video material. You will find super Super helpful at askdrbrown.org. Before you leave, in fact, first thing when you get there, sign up for our emails. We've got a really important, very exciting announcement to go out. We want you to be the first to know about it. So dot askdrbrown.org. Sign up for the emails, and then check out all the resources we have that relate to the subjects we've been talking about. All right, uh, let's go over to Bill. Where in Europe, or is it you want to be anonymous?
0: Uh, I'm in Malta. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And before this, I was in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. So really? i teacher at international schools, so I get around.
1: Okay, wonderful.
0: But uh, yep. what I wanted to comment on was um, before I went to New York City, because I'm also an actor besides being a teacher, but I feel like God's called me to be a teacher, but I just wanted to do a bucket list item, go to New York City. And before I went, I heard about something called the Gay Mafia, and this pretty much forms our United States uh, attitudes toward uh, homosexuality and whatnot. Um, They're pretty much in control, this Gay Mafia is in control of uh, New York theater and also what gets produced in Los Angeles. So um, have you heard of this and uh, what can be done about it? I don't know if anything can be done. Yeah, of, of course.
1: And anybody that starts dealing with activism as I have, you realize this is a very, very real thing when people refer to gay mafia. Now, well, let me be very clear. Your average person who identifies as gay or lesbian is just trying to live their life like everybody else, right? In other words, they're, sure. they go to they go to work, they have their friends, they have their families, they have their routines, they, they live their lives like everybody else. They're not activists, they're not trying to take over. They're They're basically saying... Just the way you have your relationships in your life, let us have ours. That's that's the great majority, all right? However, yes. uh, because of being an oppressed minority and because of saying, okay, we, we've got to change the narrative, there's been a lot of creative genius and a lot of energy and effort that's made to get into places of influence. And you will pay a price for bucking the tide. So, for example, there are conservative TV programs or major conservative news that like a Fox. OK, that right. if I, I can't do an interview on some of the segments because a gay producer is going to nix it. I'm talking about a gay producer working for one of the major conservative voices. That's just they happen to be a gatekeeper. <laughs> I mean, I, I know this firsthand or right. in different industries here. The Human Rights Campaign for years had the corporate equality index. So they would take all the Fortune 500 companies and they would see, okay, what kind of policies do you have here for same-sex people, anti-discrimination, bathroom privileges for transgender, go down the list and then put out the Corporate Equality Index. And because they were so influential in the business world that if if, if you got a poor score there, that didn't bode well, right? You get a top score. So I started noticing years ago. That all the major companies were like getting scores of a hundred, and I thought, okay, if I try to if if I boycott all the companies that are now gay activist friendly, then I couldn't fly on a plane, I couldn't use a cell phone, I couldn't use a computer, I couldn't. So the, yeah. the influence is actually there. So it's not the gay mafia in terms of they have assassins out killing people. No, not the mafia no. in that sense, but having control. And in certain, look, I've I've talked to professors at different schools, and they've said, "Oh, we can't do any." It is so overwhelmingly pro-gay that you can't even think about challenging the narrative. Wait, well, we would be out. I I talked to first grade teachers in Florida, so a more conservative state, generally speaking, in in Florida, yeah. and they were saying the gay agenda is all through our schools already in kindergarten, first grade. And if we dare speak out against it, we're out of a job. So this, yeah. is, this is the reality. And what's empowered it is the idea that gay is the new black or trans is the new black. And therefore, it becomes the civil rights movement. Americans being ashamed of our past with racism and slavery and Americans wanting to do the right thing and wanting to be open minded and wanting to be non-discriminatory have now... Taken on the new discrimination. One of the very first things, Bill, that I saw already in 2004 was those who came out of the closet wanted to put us in the closet, and that's yes. we've seen it as clear as day for many years now.
0: Yeah, because as a straight male, you know, it made it more difficult for me to work in New York and whatnot. Oh uh, yeah, it wasn't a problem uh, in the Netherlands, and, and nor was it a problem when I was in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, I kept pretty busy uh, in Ukraine before the war. I left in the end of January. Um, But yeah, in America, it's they're they're trying to include diversity, whatnot. If they say a part for a certain show needs to be a left-handed homosexual male between the ages of twenty-six to twenty-nine, that's exactly what they'll cast. They'll never cast a straight man in that that type of a role. Uh, You know, I've got many gay friends, of course, because I'm in the industry. I've got trans and, and whatnot. And it's not so much—I'm not complaining—that they're casting actors uh, that fit a part, but they're just making it more difficult for those who are not gay.
1: And yeah, uh, it's of, what of course.
0: Gonna
1: yeah, it—it it, it, it is gonna right. It—it—it it, it is the, it—it um, it is the reverse discrimination is—is is what we're dealing yeah. with. you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's exactly that. So, uh, yeah. Hey, um, I, I appreciate the call, Bill. And of course, um, like you said, you have friends, gay, trans friends, you reach out to them with the love of God, but these these are realities. These are realities. All right, bless you, Bill. Thank you for the call. I got time for another, uh, James in Dayton, Ohio. Welcome to the line of fire. Are you there, James? Yes. Go ahead, please.
3: Uh, yeah. So there's just a couple things that you had touched down on uh, some topics and issues uh, that uh, was kind of concerning and raised a kind of a, a flag in, in uh, awareness. And so here in Ohio uh, is where I'm from. It, it's in schools they're teaching uh, these different things uh, in um, sex ed and different classes that a lot of parents don't have the right to even uh, reject or neglect that. And so I see how you spoke on a lot of things with the homosexuality that's going on and how uh, children can be exposed to this through media um, and things like that. And so just what, what, what would be your advice on just kind of getting control of that Yeah. Um, within your household and your children? Um, with, we're a god God-fearing family. Uh, we go to church. We we do what's necessary to uh, raise our children right. And so the exposure in the schools and the exposure that's going on out here is just overwhelming. it's, over, it's overwhelming, James. So, it, it really is. So
1: so let me let me say a, a few things. Okay, um, be sure to visit our website askdrbrown.org, dot org dot org, and you could just you could go by topic and you'll see a lot of of resources that'll be very, very helpful, but it is far more extreme than you would realize. It's it's almost impossible for parents to keep up with everything happening. So one, obviously reinforce everything that's good and right with your kids, with your family. Reinforce what God has established, show the goodness of God's ways and and in a healthy life-giving way, not paranoid negative, that's one. Two, uh, really get involved with your kids with social media. Find out what they're getting. There's just a lot of bad. I mean, there there are TikTok videos that have gone viral where kids are self-diagnosing. Uh, we have multiple personality disorder. We have this. We have that. And and it is getting. I mean, it's out of hand to the point that they are now the self-diagnosing. And now, okay, so then I must be trans, part of my identity is trans. And, th- and I'm I'm hearing from the parents, and they're they're flipping out with they're they're losing their kids. Their kids are leaving the home and getting hormone treatments and things they're saying, what am I, that's my daughter. What do I do? She's about to mutilate herself for life. She's 18. What do I do? So really get involved, really find out what they're into, especially the younger they are, have much more control. And then you got to find out what they're getting in school. Sit down, look at the textbooks, look at the curricula. If you have issues, as parents speak up as more and more parents speak up. It will make a massive, massive difference. As more and more parents raise their voices and speak up, it'll make a massive difference. People have to get involved on school boards. Uh, more and more, some of these things happening in Virginia. Parents waking up. Uh, look at look at the recent article I wrote about stop sexualizing our children. It's on the website. But uh, check out the resources that are there. Let it stir you even further, sir. And I don't I don't mean to put a scare in you, but these are the realities. We're talking about little children, little children, even three, four years old, getting indoctrinated. It's dangerous, it's wrong, it ought not to happen. The sexualizing of our children must stop. It must stop on our watch. So may the Lord give you, your wife, wisdom Said, keep your kids safe. Because there's a whole agenda, heterosexual sex ed, homosexual activism, a whole agenda that is destroying a generation. May God give us the grace to turn the tide back.